Let's all stand if we could, please, and open our Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, it's an honor to represent Pastor, uh, to be able to speak unto the Word of God this evening. Hebrews 11, chapter 6, for our translators upstairs, thank you for uh, translating the Word of God. I will try not to slur my English or use any slang uh, for tonight. Let's read out loud on the count of six, okay? We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, okay, when I tell you to stop. One, two, verse six, but without faith, stop, but without faith. I want you to focus upon these three words because this is the plague that is affecting not just our society, it's not just for the atheist, it is a problem that is affecting Christians. Without faith, this passage, beloved, it's not written actually for the atheist or the unsaved or the unbeliever. It's written to believers in mind. And I'm hoping that by the end of this message that it will cure any faithlessness of any part, no matter how big or how small it is, within our hearts. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to speak to your people, the Heritage Baptist Church, your word. I'm looking at people who have hungry hearts, Lord. They want to hear what the Word of God says. And Lord, I don't want to get in the way to, be, to misrepresent what this text says or to be, an, a mis, uh, to be a misrepresentation of the office of Pastor Alan Fong. I pray that you'd anoint me with your spirit, Lord, to preach and teach only the things that would help your people. And I pray that you open understanding, Lord God, not to come away with just a feeling but to come away with a greater faith because, Lord, we studied what was written in your scriptures. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move here in this evening to do what we cannot do, Lord God, that we would have faith if we don't have it and to increase our faith if we do have it. And Father, I pray that you'd move in our hearts that as a result of what is preached here tonight, that the people of the Heritage Baptist Church this evening would take whatever step of faith is necessary that they may please you and grow in you, Lord. Thank you that right now is our second chance to please you, for we're in the times that we had not. And I pray that your people will be blessed and strengthened and repentant as a result of your word. We pray this in the precious name of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I want to remind you that the context of the book of Hebrews is written for the Jewish people. It's written for people, all they had was Genesis all the way through Malachi. And as they studied of those sacrifices, as they studied of those commandments, why do we have to square off our beards? Why can't we, you know, shave around the corners of our head? Why, why can't we, you know, throw a, a kids, you know, baby goats that have been boiled in, in their mother's milk? Why can't we do all that? And the reason why the book of Hebrews is written to help people understand that the end of the law is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you may be wondering, why am I reading this passage of Scripture and it doesn't make any sense? Beloved, the whole reason why your Bible was written was to give you and me an example that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lose focus of that. Because what happens is that the longer that people are in churches, five years, ten years, twenty years, they often forget the reason that the purpose of their existence in this church is for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is too easy for us to go chasing on some some doctrinal rabbit trail or to go focusing on the latest trend on Christianity and forget that there are lost souls that are outside these doors that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't tell them, 
maybe there's something wrong in the way that we're presenting the gospel. Or maybe there's something wrong with the presentation or the delivery of our faith. Without faith is not a description of the atheist for this passage, even though it is in a sense. It's a description of the believer because there are many people who claim to be believers, but they don't trust in the, in the God of this Bible. You'd be amazed how many doors you knock on that are from a Protestant or even evangelical type of Christianity that do not believe that the Bible is true. That they do not believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. Or if, that, if the Bible is the inerrant word of God, there are many different ways to interpret it. When I tell, peop when I tell the people at the In-N-Out Burger that I want a, a number three with no spread on it, with onions and ketchup and mustard, and making some of you hungry, that's not, up to be in, that's not up to be interpreted many different ways. There's a particular way I want that ordered because if you put spread on my burger, I'm going to get seriously sick because of the mayonnaise. And unfortunately, we have a ton of people who believe that the Bible can be interpreted many different ways. No, it can't. It's to be interpreted unto the measure of the perfect man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian Post recently wrote an article where it said that Bible-centered Christians in America decreased from 9.9 .9 million down to 5.5 million. That's a loss of almost 50% of people who claim that they believe their Bibles. That means of the 550 people who come here on Sunday morning at 2960 Merced Street, that would mean that only 275 just immediately lost their faith. That they don't believe that the Bible is actually telling the truth. Or they question whether its promises can be trusted. Without faith below, it describes the average Christian who has enough faith to say a prayer in Jesus' name as a ticket to heaven, but that same ticket to heaven is a work permit that most Christians hardly use. Hey, beloved, did you know that God gives you and me authority in Jesus' name to do the works of Christ Jesus? Did you know that? And a lot of people, they never use that authority. I don't know why. But the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All the Calvinists and all the other nonsense people that are on the internet talking about the ordination and the foreordination of God. Here's what God foreordained Christians to do. To be ordained unto good works. I realize that I'm talking to the cream of the crop. I realize I'm talking to the people who probably battled traffic to come here. You took work off early. You probably came into the office early and ended work early, so you come here. You know, there's a lot of talk that's going on in Christianity, and I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that a lot of the, what is talked about for the foreordination amongst the Calvinist circle, it's not talking about, you know, being ordained into good works, which is our responsibility. It's talking about a misrepresentation of what ordination or what, uh, of what predestination or election is. Election, beloved, does not talk about, well, well 6,000 years ago, God chose a few people to be saved and a few people to die and go to hell. That is not what election is talking about. What election is talking about, beloved, is your responsibility. It's talking about the responsibilities that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also talking about, we will find out later towards the end of this passage, the rewards that come with living for Jesus Christ of a life in faith. Beloved, if we have faith, I recognize that there are some things that happen in spite of the fact that we have faith. Did you know that Elijah and Elisha, that God did not call them 
to be prophets when it was easy. He didn't call them to be prophets in the Bible Belt. He called them to be prophets in the midst of a baby-burning society. Did you know that God called Elijah and Elisha to preach in the midst of a society where they were executing preachers? Now, they haven't gotten it that bad here in the, the Bay Area, praise the Lord, okay? Otherwise, we'd shut off the live stream, okay? But it's amazing how we assume that, you know, we want a Christianity, we want a faith that wants to operate under easy circumstances. There have been, there have, in the midst, anytime God has worked, beloved, God has always worked in spite of the difficult circumstances. Amen. You know, just, there's a study that went around that said that, you know, in California, STD, sexually transmitted disease rates, are up by 200% over the past 10 years. And, you know, if you go with the flow of what is happening in Christianity today, we're not supposed to preach against fornication or sexual sin because that's judgmental and unloving. Well, bless God, if we don't preach against it, how are people supposed to stop committing it? Think about that for a second. I mean, some, some, there are some heretical preachers out there on the Internet and on TV that are saying, well, it's not really the Ten Commandments. It's really the Ten, it's the ten Blessings or the Ten Promises. And yes, they are blessings and promises that God will protect us if you follow those commandments. You know, we, we've got such a backwards idea because of the faithlessness that has so hurt our, our, our faith. You know what? You know, our, we need to have a faith, beloved, that's going to produce some preachers, and that's going to produce some church plants here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I want to invite you to consider with me that supporting 120 missionaries in different Bible colleges and different works all around the world and taking mission trips does not excuse us of our obligation here in the United States. I recognize that we are in one of the most expensive places to live here in, in America, in any part of the world. I recognize the fact that a lot of people don't live here in the Bay Area. They merely survive here in the Bay Area. But I tell you what, beloved, it doesn't matter the fact that, that you know, many people are surviving. The Lord Jesus did say in the book of John chapter 10, I give unto you life more abundantly. And it's not the prosperity theology that the, Pentecostal, that the Pentecostal theologians are lying to you about where they say, well, God wants you to be a millionaire and just wants you to have this great big you know, success formula where you can, where you can just you know, uh, ride around in the $50 million Cessna jet that I'm, that, I'm riding, that I'm riding around to you about. That's a lie. What about the Apostle Paul who said, I was with you in much poverty? You read about the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That wasn't your best life now or the prosperity theology that we see that's, that's coming out of the Christian bookstores. Amen. If we have faith, beloved, your faith ought to be influencing your neighbors in the community around you. Maybe you ought to take 30 to 45 minutes on your day off after you've gone so many and knocked doors just with the, 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 the 15 doors that are within your, you know, 500 square foot radius to say, hi, my name's Justin. I live on X, 123 XYZ Street. I'm your neighbor over here and I want to invite you to your church. Your faith ought to influence your neighbors. Now, they may not get saved immediately. I hope they do. But your faith needs to influence the people around you. Hey, beloved, I want to challenge you with this thought. If we have faith, why is it that the soul-winning attendance at Heritage Baptist Church has declined and stayed on the average of 50 for the past five to six years? 
We've never had prettier tracks in the, in, in, in the history of this church. We've never had a better web presence. Our training, our, our, our training programs are more sophisticated. We've got nicer buildings, um, bigger banquets, but our numbers are still the same. Might I invite you to consider, beloved, that the reason why our soul winning attendance has stayed the same over the past five to six years is not because of a lack of knowledge, but because of a lack of faith. Well, you don't understand, Brother Justin. I went out and knocked 100 doors, and people weren't very friendly. Well, let me just give you, I'm not going to lie to you about the numbers. It takes 1,000 doors for one person to get saved, for one person to come to this church, if you directly reach them. And by the way, that's not an uncommon statistic if you live in Japan or if you live in, in, if you live in some part of Europe. That's just what happens when you live in a materialistic society. It takes a lot longer for you to break down the idol of materialism in other people's lives if they're going to be convinced of the faith that you and I have in Jesus Christ. It's not because of a lack of Bible knowledge. Imagine, I, I figure that most people in this, in this congregation, I'd say about half to 60-70% of you, English is your first language. Okay? You say, well, it's tough to read the Bible in the King James Version English. Well, imagine if you, as an English language speaker, you had to study your Bible in Tagalog for a minute. Think about that for a second. If you just had to study your Bible in Tagalog. That's what's happening for our brothers and our sisters in the Philippines. They study their Bibles in Tagalog, and they study their Bibles in English, but English is not their first language. It's their second language. And you know what? That hasn't prevented them from going and planting churches and winning souls in every part of the Philippines and all across the 1040 window in restricted access nations in Asia and Africa and the Middle East. Why? It's not because of, it's not because necessarily the education that they have or don't have, but it goes back to without faith. Hey, beloved, might I invite you to consider if you're either in this room at 2960 Merced Street or you're watching by live stream, the reason why people do not follow the will of God is because maybe some of us are too busy following our friends. Now, I'm not saying that you should, you know, defriend everybody on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, unless they're all bad influences, okay, or if, you know, they're, unless they're taking you down a bad path. But one of the reasons why I didn't go to Bible college for many years is because I was afraid of leaving my friends. That's a delay of two years. And one of the reasons why I did go to Bible college is because, well, I want to go where my friends are at. And you know what? That's a delay for however many years in the will of God. Well, Brother Justin, you don't understand. It's, it's very scary to walk alone. I know that. But we never know what we are or what we aren't until we walk alone. By faith sometimes means that you have to stand alone. And sometimes it means that you hang upon a cross. After all, Jesus was all alone upon that cross. Elijah was all alone upon Mount Carmel. Moses was alone with God up in Mount Sinai. And you know what? Sometimes we do have to stand alone. But that's the sacrifice that comes with faith. Beloved, I, I, I'm challenging you that at times you may have to go not where you're loved, but where you're needed. You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Justin? Well, we like to go where our friends and family are because that's where we're going to find security. But what about every other missionary, beloved, or every other church planner who went into a town where they didn't know anybody. They scratched off a piece of ground, set up a tent or an arbor or some kind of storefront, started knocking on doors and making friends. And because they didn't have friends, they had to make some friends. Brother Justin, you don't understand, I'm really shy. Well, I'll tell you what. Perfect love casteth out all fear if you read the book of 2 Timothy. I think it's 2 Timothy. And you even have to love the people that you don't know, beloved. Because we're not only commanded to love the people that we know, 
the brethren, even though sometimes we can butt heads with them a little bit. We're commanded to love all people. And that's how they're going to come to this church. That's how they're going to get. That's how they're going to come to your home, and for for you know, to, so you can explain to them the scriptures, and eventually come to the Heritage Baptist Church. Beloved, my biggest fear about the Heritage Baptist Church is that we assume that simply doing a few religious activities within our week constitutes faith, without any measurable results. Did you know that you could sit in a church pew and never believe anything that's being preached or taught? Now, I don't believe that's the case with, with anybody here in this room. But I, I think there's a level of, well, that's true for Brother Justin, but it's not true for me. Hey, let's not bring the Oprah Winfrey theology into the Heritage Baptist Church. Okay, and I know that someone watching by live stream probably get triggered, okay? But the fact of the matter is there is a, a terrible... Uh, Problem of relative truth. Oh, it's like what happened in 2 Kings chapter 7. Huh. If the Lord opened up windows in heaven, might this thing be? And you know what? When that man said that, the prophet Elisha said, Look it, you're gonna see what's you're gonna see the blessing of God, but you're never gonna be able to taste it. And beloved, my prayer for this congregation is that you be able to taste the blessing of God and not just see it. Because there's a lot of people, they read parts of their Bible, or they see what's happening in a missionary prayer letter, or they see what's happening in their Christian friends' lives, and they say, can that really happen to me? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, beloved. One of the reasons why I backslid for so long, beloved, is because I wondered, huh, can God really forgive a backsider like me? And when we come to God with that attitude, Guess how many years it adds to your, it, it takes away from your Christian life. My goal for the people, the good people that are in this room here at Heritage Baptist Church is that you would not put an arrested development upon your Christian life. At the rate that California is going to hell in a handbasket and the rate that governments all around the world are closing their doors to the gospel ministry, we don't have time for Christians to delay in their faith. We don't have time for Christians to say, well, I know that today's a nice day, but, you know, I'm going to take a break, and instead of going soul winning, even though I know that's, that's a good thing for me to do, it might be a good day to take the boat out to the lake today. Well, I know that tonight might be a good time for me to go to Bible study, but I think I'm going to take it easy for tonight and check out the new pearl drink place to open up on the other side of town and maybe stand in line for about two hours to, to get my drink there. Hey, beloved, with the way that the government is changing, that people all around us are dying, by surprise, we don't really have time to wait in, 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 our, in our development for faith. You may not be urgent, but, all, but you know, Brother Irwin, other staff men will tell you, it's been a little bit more urgent. We've had to reschedule some things and put some things that are not so big a priority on the back burner. Why? So we can get some things done around this office. Beloved, I want to know something. What's your priority? I want to know something. Where are the impossible miracles that God is supposed to be doing in our midst? Without faith is a hazardous condition that must be remedied by one cause with two parts, repentance and fasting. Well, fasting's not a commandment, Brother Justin. I realize that. But I realize we're also in a day and age where people, they want to... Uh, it just amazes me how many people, they want to complain about all the problems and all the homosexual activity and all the drugs and all the higher taxes and everything that's happening in California, but they don't repent and fast for it. 
They're willing to write all the nasty blog posts and, you know, go and protest and picket and, and stuff like that. But I want to know something. Where are the Christians who are willing to fast and repent for that? I hesitate to use the word prayer because a lot of people come to God like he's some kind of big Santa God up in the sky with their wish list to fulfill all their wants. Now, I do realize that the Bible says that, you know, we must come to God boldly before his throne of grace and we find mercy to help in time of need. But I also realize that we cannot come to God with our wish list because the things that we must ask for, beloved, they must be within the will of God. Brother Justin, how do I know if it's in the will of God? Simple. Check between Genesis and Revelation and you'll see what the will of God is. It's for your lost family members to be saved. It's for you to be a 10 out of 10 Christian and not a 5 out of 10 Christian tomorrow and then a 7 out of 10 Christian on Sunday morning and then maybe a, you know, a 3 out of 10 Christian tomorrow. It's not the will of God for us to be inconsistent. We must have a consistent faith. You say, well, Brother Justin, you don't understand. I messed up. Well, get back in the saddle, brother. The horse hasn't died just because you fell out. Well, Brother Justin, you don't understand. I missed a day of Bible reading. Well, get back in it. Read your Bible while, 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 while you're eating your supper or something like that. It, you say, well, Brother Justin, it's hard to stay focused. Look at my wife and I, you know, I'm not a good woodworker, okay? I just started a couple weeks ago. But I made some you know, book stands to help us do some reading. I, you know, it helps, you know, helps with, with reading your Bible while you're eating even. And if you say, well, Brother Justin, how do I get that done at the same time? Come see me after this sermon's done. I'll, I will personally make you a book stand if you need a little help with multitasking with that, okay? But I hesitate to use the word fasting and prayer because a lot of times there's a lot of prayer that goes down that's not really biblical. The Pharisees stood within the temple or the synagogue, and he prayed within himself. Heathens pray, oh, Baal, hear us. And not only that, they cut themselves to shreds, hoping that Baal would hear them. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. He that hear it, whoso turneth his ear away from hearing the law, his prayer shall be an abomination unto him. What does that mean? That means if you got a scriptural obligation, like maybe making things right between you and a brother or a sister, or you've got a pet sin that you need to take care of and you come to God with your prayer list and you haven't taken care of that sin yet, God's not going to hear. He's not going to answer until you get it taken care of. Why do you think, beloved, that when Jesus and John the Baptist and Peter and everybody else in the first century church came on the scene, their message was a message of repentance? Because that's not what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were talking about. The popular preachers of the day were not talking about repentance. You go to your average evangelical church, they're not talking about repentance. Why? It'll offend people. And even though repentance is an offensive act, it's an offensive doctrine to many intellectual, you know, well, I make six figures a year. It offends that kind of mind. Repentance is the way that you and I will please God, beloved. Because repentance is a change of heart that produces a change of life and it produces a change of action. Sometimes the changes aren't drastic. Sometimes it might be, well, the Lord showed me the other day from my Bible reading I needed to have, you know, a perfect heart according to what Solomon had. The changes are not always drastic, but they do need to produce some kind of measurable change in your life and mine so that we may have the Christian life that we need to have that's found in Jesus Christ. I realize this is a busy church. People commute 90 minutes one way just to get into the office. They spend eight to nine hours in the office. 
your kids are in soccer practice, you're trying to juggle your marriage and your ministry. But in the midst of the silence of our commute, or in the midst of the busyness of doing your household chores, like folding your laundry or cooking your supper, or watering your plants, when was the last time that we gave thought to our relationship with God? Well, Brother Justin, I may not be able to spend an hour in prayer. Yeah, you can in your commute, with your eyes open, of course. Or, Brother Justin, you don't understand. It's just, there's so many distractions. So shut the TV off. Go to our podcast on the website. You know, find some fundamental Baptist preaching. Fire it up while you're doing some chores. Amen. Because you can't have your mind to be empty. Look it. You read what Jesus said when the devil's cast out, and you don't fill it with something good. The devil comes back seven times worse. Now, I realize the majority of us in this room are saved. You're not going to get demon-possessed anytime soon. But I'll tell you what, while your mind is empty, while you're going about your daily chores, whatever it may be, your mind tends to go towards faithless thinking. I know, because we're all victims of that. So what does it got to be? You got to fill your mind with something. Maybe not about the talk show radio host, but find some fundamental Baptist preaching. Come to see me after, after the sermon's done, and we'll, we'll give you a couple resources about that that'll help you with your Christian life, that'll help you in your Christian leadership. Your, mind's not a, your mind is not a vacuum, beloved. It has to be filled with something. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. How much is your treasure worth? Is it worth investing? What's this treasure you're talking about? It's the gospel that you and I have. It's the Jesus Christ that you and I hold within our hearts. It's possible to get busy and excited about all the wrong things, beloved. Without faith is the sickness that every Christian suffers from. If not every day, then from time to time. And I'm hoping that that fasting repentance, if you're not already doing it, will take care of that. Faith is not something that we must work up and get all excited about. No, it's something that we must pray down. And in a church age that longs to be social, beloved, leaning upon one another for, for emotional support, Christians must long to be spiritual, leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit for spiritual support. You see, beloved, if you lean upon the help of a man, you're only going to get help from that man. But if you lean upon the power of God and the unchanging promises of the Scriptures, guess where your power is going to come from? Because you need a greater power than just any person standing behind this pulpit. You need a greater power than just your adult growth group leader. You need a greater power than just the person who led you to the Lord. And that power can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're trusting in someone else on the power of the Holy Ghost to empower you, beloved, you're missing out. And that's probably the reason why we keep on relapsing and having our backsliding fits and why we have our up and down Christianity and why we have, you know, a moment of a decision one day and a moment of indecision the next. Beloved, the only way to stabilize a double-minded man is to have the one mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved, I want you to notice with me the impossibility of pleasing God. But without faith, it is how much, to, it is what to please God? Impossible. It doesn't say it's difficult. It says it's impossible. It's impossible to please God without salvation. Did you know that? I realize that this is the Wednesday night crowd, but I don't take for granted one moment. There may be a, a, any person, at least a few, who knows, 
persons who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They may be trusting in work salvation. They may be trusting in a church. They may be trusting in themselves or a system. They may have prayed a prayer and never truly repented and called upon Jesus Christ with faith. And until they get saved, you cannot please God. You say, oh, Brother Justin, you don't understand. I make all this money. I do all these great things. Beloved, until you repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please Christ. You see, beloved, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? His dignity, his pride, well, you don't understand. If I believe in that, my family will reject me. They, reject, they, they didn't stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ either, so they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to do it for you. But at least when you die and stand before God after having trusted Jesus Christ, your family's not going to be the one judging you. Oh, it's, it's, a funny, it's a funny philosophy that we have in this world. A lot of people say, only God can judge me, but they live like only their friends and their family will judge them. They say, well, only God is the judge, but they live like they're going to stand before a tribunal of man when they stand before God someday. No, they won't. They will not stand before someone of flesh. They stand before God, the God of all spirits, who does not lie. Beloved, until you get saved, until you are 100% sure that you are going to heaven because you are repentant and called upon Jesus as your Savior, you cannot please God, no matter how hard you try. But next, beloved, you cannot please God until you have, uh, you cannot please God without sanctification. Sanctification is the necessary steps in your Christian growth. The word sanctify means to set someone or something apart for a holy purpose. By sanctification, I'm talking about your membership transfer. Because joining a biblical fundamental Baptist church implies a level of faith and commitment that most people are unwilling to give. You say, well, Brother Justin, I still need to think it through. Great, we'll think it through and we will explain it to you. We'll continue to do so. But don't sit on the fence forever. Look it. I can wear these clothes, but these clothes are not part of the DNA of Justin Fong. And there's a lot of people, they merely want to serve as part of the clothing as opposed to the actual body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that every member must be compacted and fitly joined together so that the body can make increase of itself to, in, in love. There are some people that may sit in the seats of the Heritage Baptist Church and they never get, and they've been saved definitely, but they've never been baptized because there's just some biblical philosophy that, that they're hearing in this church that they didn't hear in their old church and just unwilling to let go of for whatever reason. Beloved, we cannot be sanctified if we have a mindset that goes against what the Bible says. And if we have a mindset that goes against what the Bible says, that's a measure of faithlessness. That's a measure of without faith. And it's not the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ that you go without sanctification. This is your sanctification that you abstain from fornication, whether pornography on your phone or whether you're living in a domestic partnership. And if you need help with your phone accountability, come see one of us and we're not going to reveal it to other people here in this church. Because you cannot please God if you're messing around with stuff on your phone. Sanctification involves you being a soul winner because you cannot please God without presenting the gospel and explaining the Bible to help bring people to the faith. If you go soul winning, beloved, that implies a level of believing that God can use you. 
You know what a lot of people pray? What a lot of people believe? Well, God can use Rick Martin in the Philippines in Iloilo City because he's got 1,500 church plants and missionaries in every corner of the world, but he can't really use me because I'm here in America. As if your geography makes a difference about whether or not God can use you. The same dirt, the, the dirt that you stand on is the same dirt that, 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 that you know, Yinka Fasinro stands on in Nigeria. The dirt, the air, the oxygen that you breathe is a little bit cleaner than the oxygen that some of our missionaries in uh, a country by the south, by, by the, by the east and south China Sea is, okay? But it's still the same, it's still the same faith that you and I must ask God to fill our hearts with. Did you know that you can't get faith on your own? Did you know that? You gotta have, it's, you know, it's gotta be the Lord that's moving you, okay? Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I hope you realize that, all right? But, you know, we have faith to believe. But if we assume that we can just work up faith by our own power, no, we have to ask God, Lord, help me to, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief when it comes to God moving in our midst, okay? When you go soul winning, that's, a, and that implies a, le- or if you're a disciple, or if you're a teacher or a preacher of any of any stature in this church, you need to have more faith because you need God to use you more. He giveth more grace. Beloved, you need more of God. It's a truth. If you're not modeling your life off of a Christian leader or, or in private time with God, you cannot please God because God uses Christians to build other Christians. Look, you are what you reproduce. Ah. Uh, I think most of you know what ethnicity I am, okay? Uh, at no point in time will I ever produce someone of a different ethnicity than, than what I am, okay? If you, as a carnal Christian, are hoping that you will produce spiritual Christians, that's an impossibility because it's not within your genetics. And if we come at our discipleship, or if we're, building our, if we're modeling our life off of someone, hoping that we will get a different result, that is a genetic impossibility. You can't get a third arm if you've had only two arms in all, your, in all the gene pool. You're not going to get a third eye if your gene pool has had persons of only two eyes for the entire time. And beloved, look at if you're modeling your life off of, off of uh, if, if we are modeling our lives off of someone who is less than the measure of the Lord Jesus Christ, Little wonder that our faith isn't producing what it ought to. Because your faith, beloved, needs to produce people who are getting saved. It needs to produce godlier Christians today than it did yesterday. It shouldn't be the same. Look, at, I'm not sure how many of you invest in stocks. I'm not sure how many of you are looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the Standard & Poor's 500. But if you compare the stock market today from what it was five years ago, it's increased in value. It's had a ton of ups and downs, okay? But it's always increased in value. And your Christian life may have a ton of ups and downs, but five years from now, it should be worth more because of the people whom you've modeled your life after in sanctification for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Is your faith stuck? Because look, at we can't just have the faith of yesterday's, yesterday's faith. Yesterday's faith took care of yesterday. You need to have faith for today and faith to, for tomorrow to increase you, to be, make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we Christians have a lot of things backwards. We can go up and ask the sinner, hey, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven if you die today? But I think it would be fair if all of us, if, if, the, if the Christians in this room, if someone, if a Christian came up to us and said, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure 
that God would be pleased with everything of who you are and what you do think and say? If you died right now, would God be pleased with who you are? Now, maybe I don't know what the statistics are like. Maybe 70% would say no or I don't know. Maybe 20% would say yes for both reasons, biblical and unbiblical. Maybe 10% would laugh at you, you know, for asking such a question because they don't understand what you're asking or maybe because they are backslidden. I'm not trying to guilt trip people. Please don't, please don't misunderstand. But we're going to need more faith to reach a faithless generation. If the bankruptcy problem or if the debt is bigger, you're going to need a bigger bailout of some kind. And if the faithlessness problem that is here in this society is so big, you and I cannot afford to be, spiritual, to, to be faithlessly bankrupt. It, it, it's not going to work. You're going to have to get that faith from somewhere, and it's going to have to come from on high. You're going to have to get that faith from somewhere in order for you and I to be able to please God and in order to draw people into our Lord Jesus Christ. If you died right now, have you done everything you're supposed to? We can judge if a man's ready to die by this. Has he done everything he was supposed to do? Do you realize how many Christians live their lives and never fulfill everything that's commanded in this book? You know, the more that I read my Bible and try to fast and try to pray, the more I realize how many things in the Bible I've never actually experienced for myself. How many of us have, wandered, have walked in a desert? You know, Brother R, I know you grew up in, you know, Ridgecrest, so, you know, you didn't do it in sandals, but out there in the Antelope Valley, Mojave, is nothing but dirt. Nothing but dirt. Nothing but emptiness so that your mind can focus upon the things that really matter. And I think that in a very distracted age, people are entirely out of their element when they come to a place, you know, where there's, no, there's barren emptiness, and it's, it's for the first time in their life they realize, Whoa, I've never been so distracted before. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith. How many of them received the promises? Not re having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 says this, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise. Did you realize that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never saw the nation that God promised them? On top of that, Jacob and Abraham had too many wives. Moses never entered the promised land while he was alive. Joshua never finished conquering the land. David committed adultery and let Absalom do the damage, and he was unable to build the temple. I'm just saying this. Look at how many people, they never really fin finished their faith walk where they're prevented from doing so, for whatever reason. Now, maybe God does put some limits on what we can or can't do, okay? But usually they're not God-imposed. Elijah and Elisha were both prophets for Israel, not Judah. Neither could get... Did you know that Elisha and Elijah, with all the miracles that they were able to do, they themselves couldn't get rid of Ahab and Jezebel? Did you realize that? You say, well, Brother Justin, you know, we, we've got all these politicians that are making bad laws and all these leftist, unbelieving school teachers that are teaching my children bad stuff and all the problems with drugs. You know what? It seems to be that God allows salt in the midst of cor corruption and decay to show people that he's not done with this, with this rotten area yet. Because if God just pulled back his hand from everything that pulled you and me from out of the trouble situation and the bad, this evil society that you and I live in, there would be no one to draw a distinction between good and evil. 
Because people don't see a difference when all they see is the same thing. And they need you and me to stand there, even in the midst of great wickedness, so they can see the distinction of what a with-faith Christian is and what a without-faith society is not. Paul wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem, and on top of that, when, when, when he did go to Jerusalem, that caused a, pro, a bunch of havoc for other people. They at least, But you know what? In spite of the fact that they didn't receive all the promises, they died in faith. They weren't just saved. They did everything they were supposed to do. I mean, sometimes Christians find it hard to please God because first, of a lack of faith in certain areas, and then a failure to complete what they're supposed to do. I realize that there may not, I don't know if there's any atheists in this room. I, I really don't know. Even if you're not a theological atheist, maybe we might be practical atheists. Not consciously believing in the non-existence of God, but maybe living like there's the non-existence of God. Can God, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can he save my next door neighbor? Can he, can, 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 can? Christmas can, can. Can soup, can this, can that. We need to can the without faith attitude, beloved. The without faith attitude is the reason why churches do not go forward for our Lord Jesus Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Look at faith and charity will have us invest in people continually, especially in good stewards. Faith is going to produce a level of love and forgiveness for people even within this congregation and body because I don't know where the bitterness problem is within this church. But if we assume the worst about other people, guess what? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe the millennials will split the church right down the middle. Who knows? Okay? But faith and charity will have you and me invest in people that are good stewards and continually invest them. And they're not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes along the way. There's times where pastors had to pull every single one of us on staff, and I'm pretty sure the deacons and the adult growth group leaders aside say, hey, you need to fix this in our lives. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we've immediately lost our calling and our position. That just means we need to make a few changes and adjustments along the way. Beloved, we can't stop investing in people. As long as they haven't disqualified themselves, as long as they're not dishonest, and as long as they haven't changed their doctrine, they're worth the investment in their lives. Look at, maybe, the, maybe the, the people in this room, maybe it's not because we lack leaders in this room. Maybe it's because we need to develop them. And the truth that we're so strongly holding on to, we need to give it to them. And we can't give them what we don't have. Well, brother, just you don't understand, they don't have this XYZ character quality that I'm looking for. Well, if you have it, give it to them. And if you don't have it, find someone who can give it to them because they're not going to get what we don't have. Well, there's not a whole lot of boldness. Well, brother, give them some of your boldness. The Bible says that Moses gave Joshua some of his honor. If you've got faith, if you've got boldness, give me some of your faith and boldness. If you've got an attitude of love that all of us should have, show me how to love people so we can learn and build off of one another. Because the whole purpose of faith and charity is for you and me to positively influence each other for faith that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what our sanctification also does. It will have us obey the very leaders whom God has put in our lives that we wish not to in our flesh. If you think that people didn't struggle with obeying their parents back in Bible times, you're absolutely wrong. Now, they had tons of problems with that. I mean, Jesus is very parable-centered on that. I go, sir, I will not. But he went and repent. He, he repented and went. Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth unto me. Huh, thou never gavest me a kid. 
Both sons had a problem of, of materialism on both ends. And neither one had their father's heart. Hey, beloved, if we have faith, it's going to produce a level of submission that we would not otherwise have. You see, beloved, we cannot come to the Bible. We cannot come, we cannot come to the Bible saying, okay, Lord, here's a list of things that I can obey or will or will not obey. No, 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 we can't have that. Oh, I'll obey that tomorrow. No, 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 no. It needs to be, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It needs to be the spirit in our obedience. Lord, who are the, who are the leaders in my life that I'm bucking against and I'm not just I'm, I'm not following because I'm just, I'm just kicking against the pricks. Well, there's some little thing, some little moat in my eye that's making me really upset about them. Beloved, we can't have that attitude if, if, if we're going to have a unified church. Did you know that faith is going to have you obey the very leaders whom God has put in your life? I mean, look what happened in, 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 the, book of, in the book of Numbers. Let us make a captain. Make a captain? How do you make a leader that, that you yourself are going your own direction? How are you going to follow someone that you made yourself? That's impossible. When Moses was the anointed man of God for their generation, and Joshua and Aaron as well. Let us make a captain. And I think there's a lot of people, they make a captain in their own minds of what they envision for themselves in their Christian life. Instead of looking to the book, instead of listening to the preaching that they get in their classrooms and on Sunday mornings and on Sunday evenings, and instead of seeing the biblical godly examples that the Lord has given to them. It's going to have you and me obey the very authorities that sometimes we kick against in their pricks. Whenever God steps in and accomplishes a great work of faith, it is always in the context of a unified, anointed, faith-filled, loving church. Beloved, I challenge you to be the kind of church that we're when we can be an example for other people. In fact, the word in-sample and example in the Bible are very similar. An in-sample is like a template, like a mold, like a cookie cutter. But an example is someone whose faith and just outshines every other person. That's the difference between an end sample and an example. And you know what? I believe God would have you and me to be with faith kind of Christians, to be end sample like a mold that can produce other Christians whose faith we ought to follow, and an example where our faith outshines all of our peers. Not for our glory, but for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the impossibility of without faith, but beloved, number two, there's the pilgrimage of faith. I want you to read that phrase with me, for he that cometh. One, two, six. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You know, the word, you read the word phrase, he is. That's very close. That's, that's a third person representative of whom Moses met at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. He is. It's not just he was. He is. It's not he will be just only. He is and he will always forever be. The pilgrimage of faith. I want you to notice me verse 1 of, of Hebrews chapter 11, if you could, please. Let's read it out loud with a, with a voice like we mean it. 1, 2, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance is the Greek word hypostasis. Hypo, under. Stasis, to stand. To stand under something. A support or a confidence. Right now, we're standing, you know, this building is a hypostasis if you think about it. We're, it's stand, we're standing under it. 
Okay? The very ground that, that you know, Brother Vaughn, I don't know what the weight limit is for this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll do good with the pumpkins on the stage. You know, this is, a, this is a hypostasis right here. I've got confidence that it'll hold me up. And you look up that word substance, it's the word hypostasis, otherwise translated uh, in, in, your, in, in the Bible as the confidence. The hypostatic union was when Jesus was both God and man at the same time. Hypostasis, to stand under something with confidence that it will hold you up. That word substance is the Greek word eleko, to convict or to convince, to reprove or rebu- re- rebuke or reproof. That, that, that evidence of verse 1 is the very reproof. It's a rebuke. It's a, whoa, I'm sorry I didn't believe the first time. That's what that word evidence means. It's like a rebu- rebuke or a proof. Like you, if you were to correct your children, you know, I, you know, pick up your room. You know, that's a rebuke. Hey, you know, I told you to clean your room. You know, now it's spanking time. You know, that's a rebuke and a reproof, you know. And the Bible word for evidence right here is that very word rebuke or reproof or to, a conviction to hold somebody accountable for their behavior. It's hard to kick against the pricks. I mean, uh, some of you men that are on the text feed, you know, uh, every time an atheist fights against God or talks about the non-existence of God, that very atheist proves that God exists. Why? You can't fight against something that doesn't exist. And what are the atheists fighting against? They're not fighting against non-existence. They're not angry at non-existence. It's like you're angry at, you, you, it's like you, you can't be angry at the, at the invisible. It's impossible. Faith, therefore, beloved, is two definitions. The confidence of things that you expect to happen and the proof of the invisible. If your definition of faith is simply, well, I only believe in the, in the things I've never experienced, well, that, that's not good enough. Because your faith is going to change your life to the point where you experience that which is written in this book. And I think we, have, I think we need to redefine our faith because some of us have this definition where we think, well, faith is just something that I hope it will happen. It's not just a hope it will happen. It will happen. Look at it. It's believing in the God who cannot be seen, but his attributes cannot be seen. Like oxygen, you cannot see oxygen, but you can feel its effects. And, it'll cha- and whenever you burn oxygen inside of a Bunsen burner, if you, take, if you burn pure oxygen, it has a different effect of how the flames will go. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. And when you take the presence of God, faith in God, and burn it up with the oil of the Holy Spirit, it's amazingly beautiful what God does in people's eyes when they have faith and they grow in their faith toward who, for whom Jesus Christ is. Even though God is invisible, according to 1 Timothy, his light is visible, and his light is unapproachable for holiness' sake. Faith is like the Olympian who expects a gold medal, so he trains a little bit harder, works smarter, and eats better than everybody else on his team. Faith is the guy who's trying to impress his future fiance by dropping a few paychecks on a ring he really can't afford, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that she'll be impressed. Some of you unmarried men, I'm giving you an idea here, okay? Uh, you know, but look at faith is when you and I do something expecting that God will do something in return for that. It's very closely intertwined with obedience, and you cannot have faith without being obedient unto our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a part of a generation where the assumption is that God was. That the only time God worked was back in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was the president and the moral majority you know, that eventually disbanded was the one that got you know, Ronald Reagan into office. And that's the only time God worked. I don't want to be a part of a generation like that. 
I don't want to be a part of, of a generation where, you know, people are, are sick enough and tired enough of the problems in society that they complain about them all the time, but they're not willing to fast and repent in order to change the situation or better yet, change themselves. Amen. You know what without faith is, beloved? It's a lame excuse on the part of Christians to remove ourselves from our God-ordained responsibilities like faith, like repentance and fasting. If the problem is as bad as we really think it is, where's the fasting and repentance? You see, beloved, faith has you do things that you've never done before. A pilgrim is someone who goes on a journey seeking God. A pilgrim, a stranger, is someone who is in another country different from his birth. And you know what? I think a lot of us, we, we, I think that the sad thing is, is that a lot of us like it boring sometimes. We come to church, we plant ourselves in a chair, we do the same old thing, you know, we get our faces ripped by a Billy Sunday wannabe or have our egos shook by a Joel Osteen wannabe, okay, after 20 minutes, and we leave exactly the same way we come in, week after week after week. I'm convinced that people in church is like a boring sometimes. And we are not really exercising faith until we do that which is new, or we're doing that biblically which no one else is doing, and it's correct. Look at, did you know that before God, no one created? God has faith. That's why he created. Jesus Christ was full of faith. Look, he had all the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't, I, I don't know if that's ever, ever crossed your mind before, but no one ever created before God. Look it. Nobody offered sacrifices or the right kinds of sacrifices before Abel. Nobody walked with God before Enoch. Nobody built an ark and ordered all the animals onto it before Noah. And before Abraham, nobody ever wandered around aimlessly for 25 years, only to have a son at age 100, and then be ordered to sacrifice your own son 20 or 30 years later. No shepherd had ever ruled Egypt before Joseph did. Nobody ever fasted 40 days and wrote the law of God before Moses. And I think it's time for the Christians in this room, for some of you, to do what nobody else is doing, biblically speaking. To find the need in your community for the gospel's sake and see, and see that need and fill it and take the lead on it. It's time for the people in the Heritage Baptist Church that you need to be the first ones in your community with those Christmas flyer tracks ready to ask every person, hey, my name is Justin, I'm from Heritage Baptist Church. Do you have a few minutes where I could share with you, explain to you these Bible verses on the back so you can have eternal life in Jesus Christ? You need to be the first one in your community with that. You need to be the first one praying for the people that are on your street. You need to be the first one praying for your friends and your family. You need to be the first one that's out there. Why? Because a pilgrimage is going where no one else is willing to go. Or are you going to be the part of the faithless where people are not willing to go? Well, I couldn't go to that foreign country as a missionary. My family would never let me. Well, beloved, why do you think God called Abraham out of Haran, out, out of Ur of the Chaldees, away from his family members to go sojourn for a long time in Canaan. Why do you think that the Lord sent persecution in Acts chapter 8? Because the Jerusalem church was fine where they were at. They, were not, they, they, they had to wait until the persecution came before they decided, well, we need to go to every part of the world and evangelize people for Jesus Christ's sake. Some people change when they see the light, others when they feel the heat. And beloved, I hope you're not going to be intent, I hope you're not going to wait too long. Uh, those of you who know me, I hate traveling because I always get sick. I get car sick. I get air sick. You always, there's, there's some toothbrush or some article of 
you know, convenience that you left behind, you know, back at home. But traveling to foreign countries is good. You know why? It places you out of your element. You have to start all over. You can't just assume that, hey, can I buy a Coke for 50 cents? Brother, they don't even use dollars. What are you going to do? They might use pesos. They might use yuan. They might use uh, colonus. Who knows what they use? And the reason why God calls people to do things that you've never done before that are in the Bible is because he knows that it places you out of your element. Those of you who are from foreign countries, that you've experienced a culture shock, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the reason why there are so many Christians that are unwilling to do great things for God is because they're unwilling to experience some heavenly culture shock for their Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what being a pilgrim is all about. That means you have to knock that first door. That means you have to take that, read that first verse. And you have to spend a long time reading it because you have no idea what it says. You have to define every single word that's written in your Bible. That, I, Brother Justin, I've never prayed for that before. That's what a pilgrim is all about. A pilgrim is someone who goes where no one else has ever gone before. And God is not calling you and me to just stay in the same old place and do the same old thing. He's calling you and me to have a faith walk as a pilgrimage in order to please our Lord Jesus Christ. It may mean surrendering to be a preacher even though you're making pretty good money. It may mean to surrender to be a preacher even though you got a pretty good position. It may mean that you may have to change some of your responsibilities within the Heritage Baptist Church so you can be able to afford to win more souls and influence more people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, I need to hurry up. There's the reward of faith, beloved. The Bible says that he is a rewarder of them that, how hard do they seek them? What does it say? Diligently. Beloved, don't make the mistake of just sitting in church and assuming that that's seeking after God. The word diligently seek is actually one word. It means to crave, to search out, to demand or to investigate. I usually preach against demanding something from God because usually it's God who demands something from us. But when was the last time you ever met someone who was searching for God like their life depended upon it? In 2015, I was knocking doors on Cherry Street and Montgomery Street in North Hayward, and my, I met my two and only persons who said to me, Justin, I left the church because I couldn't find God. You left the church and you, because you couldn't find God. What do you mean? So I asked them, well, sir, ma'am, uh, you know, one was a Norwegian lady, and the other one, I, I don't know if you spoke French or German or something like that, and I asked them, what exactly were you looking for from God? And they refused to answer my question. Which mean makes me wonder, were they even seeking for God or were they just looking for an experience? A lot of people are looking for an experience. They're not really looking for God. They're looking for, for they're look, the, look at the things that I'm about to tell you. They're not bad, evil things to seek for. But they're not the final things that they seek for, that we have to seek for. They come seeking healing from an illness. They come seeking for, looking for that God will give them employment. They come seeking a wife. They come, you know, for, for friends. And these are not bad things. But I want to challenge you not to come for these things. I want to challenge you that when the next time you come to church, the next time you crack open your Bible, the next time you come so winning is to seek after God like you were lost. It's not God who's lost. It's us who were lost. It's said that the average supermarket has 300,000 items in it. Let that sink in for just a minute. And you're not using Amazon to do a quick grocery shelf a grocery store find of what you're looking for. The average supermarket has 300,000 items in it. It takes you five minutes to find 
a jar of peanut butter. What kind do you want? Smooth, chunky, you know, uh, vegan, organic. Which one do you want? Jiffy, you know, craft? Oh, man, I don't know. Just give me the one that doesn't give me a headache. And you search high and low looking for the things that you're looking for. That needs to be our attitude when we come looking, when we come looking for God. When was the last time you read your Bible, beloved, and it required effort? When was the last time you read, you, you, you prayed, and it required effort? Because the Bible says when we diligently seek God, that's implying some kind of effort upon our part. And you and I need to come to church. We need to come to preaching. We need to come to our personal time with God. We need to come to our sermon writing. We need to come to our prayer time with effort. Seeking after God like we're lost. Because most people don't think they're lost. Why do you think we have to ask them the 100% question? Are you 100% sure heaven would be your home? Most people think, yeah, maybe I would be. They don't think they're lost. And when we come to the Bible, we must come to the Bible with this attitude. Lord, I'm lost. I'm looking for you. Can you find me? Beloved, we're not supposed to just experience the same old boring thing 365 days in a year. In a year. 150 church services in a row. We're supposed to experience the thing that a pilgrim ought to experience on a journey of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, beloved, one of the rewards of faith is better preaching and better teaching. Deeper preaching. Your ability to share the gospel, beloved, should be deeper today than what it was five years ago if you're walking by faith. It's measured by holy lives and not just by healthy bodies. The Apostle Paul, we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. We, didn't, we don't know if he was blind. We don't know if he, I don't know, maybe he had kidney stones. I mean, that's a thorn in the flesh right there. Who knows what he had, okay? Uh, most blind people don't describe uh, their blindness as someone beating them up like the way that the Apostle Paul talked about. The word buffet, the, the word buffet literally means to beat someone upside, up, upside to beat someone like, like, like you're gonna kill them. It's measured by children, both adult and minors, who are willingly submissive unto their parents. The faith walk of more faith is measured by men who willingly love their lives, love their wives and wives who submit themselves to their husband's leadership in Christ Jesus. It's measured by Christians who win souls and help develop other godly Christians. It's measured by church plants, preachers whom we've personally trained, preachers who surrender to the call under this ministry. Beloved, I want to challenge you. Don't just support it. Get directly involved. Don't just throw a few dollars in your tithe check into the, into the offering bag. Roll up your sleeves and get your knuckles dirty in, in, in the work too. Because we're going to need as many people fasting and repenting and praying for God to raise up some more church plants in this area if we're going to see God move in this area. Fasting is never commanded because it's inherently dangerous. And I recognize that there may be elderly or diabetic or pregnant or nursing mothers. I realize that, okay? But fasting and repentance is a dare where God dares you and me to do some things that are impossible. Beloved, I want to challenge you. Let's be healed of the without faith syndrome. Let's be healed of that with faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ.